You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. I'm Calvin, and you're listening to Leading Questions with Calvin Moore. This show is an experiment in civility, gathering people who disagree to sit down face-to-face and having them discuss their disagreements. Do we ever arrive at consensus? Sometimes. What's most important is... We've got the conversation started. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Leading Questions with Calvin Moore. I am your host, Calvin Moore. And per usual, I am here with my co-hosts, Kent Strait and Steve Phelps. How are you guys? I'm glad I'm to great. be here, Calvin. I'm great. Good, good. I'm fantastic. Good. I'm, I'll, I'll let the audience in on a little, uh, a little surprise. Okay. Uh, I'm wearing leggings. All right. I'm gonna didn't, need some. I'm gonna need some. Uh, didn't see that one coming, huh? Some con- I'm gonna need some context. I guess you could call them this. yoga yoga pants. Uh, but are... yeah, let's call them. Let's call them leggings. I um, I okay. like I like when I have the time and the weather cooperates. I like to take long walks, and it's now too cold to do it in just shorts and a t-shirt. And even if I wear like sweatshirts and long sleeve t-shirts, as I, I'm wearing a long sleeve t-shirt now because I had a long walk today, okay, uh, it is too cold to do it in shorts. So I bought, uh, I bought like uh, exercise exercise leggings. So you bought you bought compression pants. That's what guys I get, call them. I suppose sure they're compre- get, compression hey, pants. They're not super. I mean, they're tight, but they're not super tight. So I guess they're compression. Well, they, okay. here's the deal, though. Uh, they don't have to actually be compressed to do compression to be compression pants. Much in the same way, no one actually does yoga yoga pants. I suppose. So, yeah. Tr- yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's so. That's not uh, true. Well, <laughs> I, you know, it's almost okay. always true. <laughs> but let, let, just just so we're clear, Kent. Yeah. Or for our listeners, you're not out just wearing those leggings and like a long sweater, right? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Just just so we're clear. It's a t-shirt. It's a cut off t-shirt. Yeah, I will. I will accept it. Yeah, in in the fairer species. It is. It is part of a uh, many layered strategy today. Okay, got you. You know, I, understood. I, I don't think we need to knock that off. I think. I think if if dresses were appropriate, I think I could wear a dress really well. I think they it would. I think I could do that. It is twenty twenty, and there would be silent. There be. It's twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. There would be. Uh, no public judgment from me. It will be silent because I do not feel like being canceled <laughs> for calling just, an ace an ace and a spade a spade. There are there are places that's that weird. They, think, in the United <laughs> States, in the United States, we have a, we're very we're a lot more strict on this than other parts of the, uh, of the world. That's all I'm saying. Are, are you saying right. that there's places in the world where men flat out wear dresses? Yeah, uh, yes, I am saying that. Well, I'm Scotland, saying that. Aside from Scotland, <laughs> no, 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 other places of the world. As a matter of fact, I believe in less than a hundred years ago, uh, young boys were dressed in dresses uh, as well. Yeah, until but Steve, b- until they're, but yeah. Steve, are any of those other countries back to back World War champions? Mm-hmm. I don't think they are. I don't think they are. America. Well, there. Pants here. There <laughs> is a famous. There's a famous photo. Uh, when funny you should mention funny you should mention back to back World War champions because there's a famous photo. It's black and white. You can look it up. It, it, uh, or you don't say during World War II, black and white no, photos. No, well, well before World War II, there's a famous photo of this of this ch- this child in a frilly la- frilly lacy dress and uh, and a bonnet. And I, I guess about three or four, and you think, oh, that's a pretty little girl. Oh, that's Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, who who I've went on. 
who went on okay. to be the head coach of uh, one of the World War uh, winning uh, winning teams. I suppose so. That's true. All right. So, uh, so here's the deal. We're still in our political series. There's nothing necessarily. Um, I mean, there's a number of things that have happened, obviously, in the, in the last few weeks, um, most of which we have commented on uh, at this point. And I, I would actually say in the last couple of weeks, despite things still moving forward, it feels like there hasn't been anything super bombshell in the last week and a half. Not anything real, anyway. Not, not anything crazy. Um, so we are still going to be talking about politics. Um, but it is, uh, th- this last week has been kind of busy for me. Uh, I, so my, my wife, uh, has a birthday in the middle of October, four days later, we have, um, our anniversary. It's our fourth year anniversary. And like we talked so, about a couple months ago, uh, the, your household celebrates birthday weeks. Yes. So, yeah. So, I, so last week, busy. last weekend, yeah. Last weekend on her actual birthday weekend, we went and bought a puppy. Uh-huh. We went and bought a puppy. Um, it was way more money than I think anybody should ever spend on a puppy. Sure. But I guess purebred One, is a thing and they $100. cost $100. Yeah, 100 100 dollars. Uh-huh. Um, but uh it's a we got a bulldoggle which is a oh. bulldog. It's an English bulldog uh crossed with a pug. Okay. So it is a bulldog with all of the gas and none of the respiratory issues. I was I was going to say was so, it, so it was born wearing a sign that said I can't breathe. Yeah, so uh we we got a girl and uh so yeah, I, I guess this is a specially bred dog. Uh, it's a designer dog is what uh, I guess what they're called. Okay. And, they're I mean, all and this is crazy cuz the fir- the first dog I got growing up was also a puppy, but my friend's dog got knocked up by another neighborhood dog. And, you know, our friends were like, you want a dog? And that's how we got it, right? Uh, so this dog is uh, a purebred mix. I don't know that doesn't make sense if it's purebred and mixed, but whatever. Uh, they they bred out. Yeah, they, they bred out uh, the the dog's respiratory issues. Okay. And so cost a, a fair amount of money. We're on a payment plan to get this dog. Oh goodness! Yeah, they they have those, and she is cute. And so we basically, named her... so basically, it's it's uh, eugenics for dogs. It is apparently bull uh, bulldogs, a uh, bulldoggles or bulldogs cannot give birth naturally. They have to have cesarean. So that That's adds how to messed the cost. up. That is how messed up we've we've done to the canine <laughs> kingdom that you can't even have a puppy naturally anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We have messed that up too. We've what, messed that up. What what else can we mess up? Let's. Uh, I, well, I I have heard. I have heard the introduction of cats to North America uh, have made <laughs> cats into the number one, uh, number one source of genocide of all species of all animal humans included in the history of time. Uh, I'm sure that was from more. conspiracy. <laughs> Conspiracy no, theory dot to right? No, it's accurate. <laughs> it is accurate that cats have gotten rid of more species of animal than any other single. Really? Animal. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're okay. not. So they're not. Uh, they weren't originally from North America. So we brought them here, and there's been like dozens and dozens of uh, uh, kinds of birds that are no longer around because oh. 
Yeah. Well, they're and definitely so, slacking. Yeah. They're slacking on mosquitoes because they need to get on that. Because well, mosquitoes bad. down in Florida are the size of pterodactyls. They're just carrying <laughs> off cats. Those are um, bats. Those are but bats. We, we, named, we named the dog. We named her Ruth Bader Ginsdog. But that was the second stab at a name. That, that was the only stab I know that we're, my our, our listeners need to know about. Okay. Uh, no, so no, we first named her Ruth Bader Bulldog. I felt like I missed a, an opportunity. And I said, you know what? I've had her for like a, an hour and a half at this point. So we're going to go back on that and call her Ruth Bader Ginsdog. And she is well-loved around my place of employment. She is well-loved around the Facebook blogosphere, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, uh, I have to remind myself of how cute she is because she is not potty trained yet. And, um, she pushes a pet, she pushes aside like the pee pads that I have all around the house. She pushes them aside and then pees. She pushes uh, them aside and then poops. I'm like, you're so cute. I hate you right now. You've had her for about a week and you just got her. Uh, what is she about 10 weeks old? She is, she was eight weeks when we got her. Okay. So she's nine weeks now. Nine weeks. Um, so another couple weeks to uh, to pad training, I suppose. Yeah. Um, she, she hasn't taken it yet. I don't know if you hear her snoring in the background over here. No, nope, that's a good sign. You may hear her every now and again. So that's good. That means she's breathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is out cold on the floor, which is nice. It means they're not playing right now. Uh, by the way, I have the first dog that I told you about a few months ago. Yeah. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis, the dog. Uh, we, we brought, we brought, uh, Ruth home and, uh, we have been gone all day trying to find this dog. I won't tell you the whole adventure of finding this dog, but, uh, we came home with a new dog and she's so small. She was up on uh, my wife's shoulder when we, um, not sitting on her shoulder, but my wife was holding her like a baby. And uh, we came in the door and the dog was like, I've been home all day by myself. He's just like jumping at us. Like, Hey, Hey, what's going on? What's good. Hey, what is that? What, what is that up there? And he is acting like the typical firstborn child mm-hmm. when a secondborn child comes home from the hospital. Because he um, will not cuddle. He will not cuddle with us on the couch anymore. He goes and sits in chairs that he's never sat in at our house <laughs> and looks at us with dirty looks. Uh, I mean, he growls at the, I mean, he hasn't bit her or anything like that. They play around. Um, but he goes from these moments, uh, these, these really, mo- these moments of jealousy to these moments of, I'm your big brother and I got to watch out for you now. It's kind of cute. So what are you going to call the dog? You're not going to yell out Ruth Bader Ginsburg dog every time you want her to, to come. Oh, okay. So I will yell out Ruth. Okay. When I just want her to come. Yeah. I will yell out Ruth Bader Ginsburg dog like any good parent when they're screwing up. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep. You're using the middle name. Okay. Game over. Yep. Game over. So here's, uh, here's the deal. I want to, we're going to talk about politics here in a little bit. Enough talking about my dog. But um, as I said, I'm celebrating my fourth wedding anniversary. We, uh, we just, pa- it just passed this last Wednesday. Uh, but since it was the middle of the week, we decided to spend it on a staycation because of COVID. Couldn't, we didn't really, really travel anywhere. Ah, uh, yes. Um, your wedding. Those were still the, the bright days in America. <laughs> yeah, the, were... the election was a couple weeks away and we were it thinking, was. everything's going fine. Everything's good. We had a huge party. It was great. Yeah. Um, and it's a great time to be married. And then we're like, oh, we're in an interracial relationship. Is this going to work? Yeah. Is yeah. this going to be allowed? It's fine. Um, yeah. But um, one of the things that we love in our marriage are books. And we were at Barnes and Noble last night uh, and bought 
far too many books, but also came across the set of cards by a man by the name of Chuck Klosterman, who, based on some of the questions in the on these cards, is clearly from the Detroit area, clearly from Michigan. But the name of this game is called Superthetical's. It's 50 new questions for strange conversations. And I thought I would ask some of these questions. But so it's a game. I'm going to read to you guys the rules of this game. And then we'll go from there. All right. So here's the deal. What is this game? This is a game where the object is to get a deeper understanding of other people and a deeper understanding of yourself. The only goal is the quality of the conversation. The more details you're willing to provide about yourself and the more honest you're willing to be, the more fun you will have. See, I'm thinking we need to start every show with a question from now on. This is great. This is great. This this is replacing what's in my box. Yes, this is exactly what's in my box. So here's how you play this game. If you were going to play this with your friends, there's a bunch of different decks. FYI, Christmas is coming. Don't sleep on what's in my box. All right, there we go. All All right, right. so here's how you play. The dealer selects a card at random, and obviously I have the cards. Um, The dealer selects a card at random and reads it to the player or players. The players will first be asked to imagine a person. Okay. Sometimes this will be a specific person. Sometimes this will be a hypothetical person. Once the player or players have imagined the person, the dealer reads the scenario on the other side of the card. The imagined person will be the central figure in a strange situation, which ends with a question. All right. That's how it's played. Okay. All right. So, I but I will give you a choice. I will give you a choice. <laughs> Do you want uh, Steve? We're gonna give you one, and and Kent, we're gonna give you one, and then we'll uh-huh. we'll get into the show. All, All right. right. So now here's the deal, Steve. I'm when gonna say. Ask... By the way, when you say uh, we're gonna do this, and then we'll get into the show, this is already more. This fun is already the show. One... When we get into it's the, like, more fun content. than one third of our guests. So <laughs> All right. okay. So so Steve, I'm going to give yeah. you the choice of do you want a hypothetical person or a specific person, but just know. Mm-hmm. Whichever one you pick, Kent has to pick the opposite and then tell us, like, if, if Kent has to pick a specific person, he has to tell us who it is. All okay. right. I'll, All right. I'll, so, I'll, I'll, yeah, okay. I will. So I, I pick a, a hypothetical or a real person. Uh, let's do a, uh, let's do a real person. I'll do the a real, real person. person. Okay. Yep. All right. Now I have not, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I've played this a lot today with, with my wife and, and her friends that were over and drinking. That, that makes mm-hmm. this game much more fun. Um, I am going to pick a specific person card okay hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of do it at random mm-hmm. uh i'm gonna want to make sure it's kind of random all right <clears throat> whoop, whoop, whoop. specific specific okay okay here we go <laughs> all right specific person here we go here we go yes ah this person is whichever of your parents you're less emotionally close with but at the time, but at the time in your life when that particular relationship was at its best, imagine that this level of closeness is happening at your current age. If the parent you select is deceased, imagine that they are alive. All right. So the 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 parent I I was less emotionally close to is that was that less was that emotionally correct? close with. But at the time in your life when that particular relationship was at its best, you're not close. But okay. Relationship's good at that point. Sure. Okay. All right. Okay. So it. who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Oh, you know, th- this is a, this is a tough one. I'll say my dad. Okay. You'll say your dad. Is your dad still my... alive or no? Yes. He's still alive. He's alive. Yep. Okay. What's, he's what's alive. your father's name? 
Jim. Jim. All right. Yeah. Is it Jim Phelps? It is. It is Jim yes. Phelps. Jim yeah. Phelps. Okay. Here, yes. No, here's right. here's this here's scenario, and I don't know what the scenario is. All right. This is what I have not asked today. This is great. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I love this game. Okay. So this parent takes you aside for a private dialogue and says, I have to tell you something I've never told you before. It's something important about me, but it's really more about you. These words are delivered in a neutral manner. There are no clear signals that this information is good or bad. So let me reread that, what he said, because I, I read it with too much emphasis. Okay. I have to tell you something I've never told you before. It's something important about me, but it's really more about you. Okay. Like I read it with the right tone there. Yep. All right. The conversation, the conversation is then interrupted and you will need to wait at least five minutes before it can resume. Here's the question. Mm-hmm. What, what do you anticipate they are going to tell you? More about you. Uh, uh, all right. So I, my, my dad and I, though perhaps not as emotionally close, are still carbon copies in some certain ways. So I don't think it's a, hey, you're not my kid. <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't think it's that one. I don't think it's that one. But it will probably, so I'm thinking it's something about, uh, I, I'm having, so I'm having this conversation today. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. Uh, my grandparent just died, okay, just like two weeks ago. So I'm, I'm wondering if at that point she left me something. Uh, that's what I'm thinking because based on the situation, I think my grandmother left me something good or bad or otherwise. That's, that's what I'm thinking. It's going to be. How does somebody, how does somebody when they die, leave you something bad? Well, it's like, Hey, I I left you a bag of poop that's on fire in this locker. I've got, I've got this estate. Ooh, great. You got to pay all the taxes on it. Uh, Oh, okay. You got to take care of the estate. You got to do, you know, anyway, uh, that's, that's exactly what I would think it was. It was my grandmother just passed away and I have to uh, take care of some stuff. I don't know okay. what that is. That's what I'm okay. th- It's kind of, that's actually more boring than probably could have been. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. All right. Now, bear in mind, I, I am, okay, so now I found that meant you asked for specific, you asked for specific. That means that Kent gets hypothetical. He gets a hypothetical mm-hmm. person. All right. Yes. Now, bear in mind, I have not read these cards. I did read a few, I, I've passed the ones that I have read. Uh, throughout the day, because some of them are a little bit more risque than I was willing to, to, to ask. So I'm about to read the uh, the person, but I have no idea what the scenario is. Okay. okay. So just so you know. All right. So hypothetical person. So that means you don't have to figure out who this is specifically, obviously. This is a person created through genetic engineering. Okay. They, okay. Are, devoid, they are devoid of personality and physically average in every way. They can speak and think logically, but are otherwise intellectually blank. They have no opinions, sense of history, or a sense of self. That is the hypothetical person we're talking about. Here is the scenario. This, (laughs) I love the first sentences in these. It's always fun. Uh, This person will do whatever you tell them to do and behave however you instruct them to behave. They are in almost every respect a robot. They have no name, no agency, no legal rights, and are not protected by the law. But they are still human. They have all the needs of a regular person, feel pain and pleasure, and have the ability to learn. Here's the question. It's kind of a long question. This person now lives in your house. You can do whatever you want with them. (laughs) 
when this is in your house, you can do whatever you want with them without repercussions. What do you do? Consider the person's mental limitations if you choose to release them into society. Um, the, <laughs> to, to start with, the question is self-contradictory. Um, and you got to answer the question as it is. Yeah, can't do but this, Kent. But can't no, 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 no. <laughs> I'll tell you why this question is self-contradictory. Because a person with no sense of agent, with no agency, no sense of self, and no sense of history cannot learn. And it's arguable whether they can feel pain or pleasure, because those are both those are both cerebral impulses that have to be compared to something else. So if they are essentially a robot, um, I'm going to I'm going to file under protest that they can feel pain and pleasure and learn. So uh, it would be irresponsible of me to release them into society, not for them. Uh, not for them, but for, um, it would be, it could be terrible for society. Um, well, yeah, I'm teaching them how to clean my house. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I think that's easy. You make I'm... them a slave. You make them a slave. <laughs> I okay. Think household I got it. Work. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. So they're a slave. They're, they're, I get it. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. So, uh, you, and, and you know what? The, I, for the record, Kent opted for slavery. Opted for slavery. And let me. <laughs> Let me say, and I have said this, I have said this before, I said that, you know, because uh, a lot of times, um, a lot of people will compare the issue of, sl of slavery and abortion, you know, one is the great moral crisis of our time, and the other, the great moral crisis of, of a century of two centuries ago, three centuries ago, four centuries ago. Um, and I have said in a flippant way, I said, the reason you know, that they're different is because uh, fetuses can't write folk songs about how much it sucks. Their situation sucks. Um, that's how you they know. Have tiny hands. It's because they right. have tiny it's hands. It's tiny hands. So um, until my new household helper picks up a guitar. A.K.A. Slave. Right. Until uh, <laughs> my household helper. Help you know what? My next argument is, well, it's it's better in here than out there. Right. <laughs> sure. Oh it's out there is terrible. That's that's terrible. Right. What other excuses are there? All right. Well, All you right. can. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I want to be called Massa from now on, but uh, that's just uh, yeah. Okay. Well, they have no. Sense I think of self, every. So. I think every time we do this, Calvin, you should somehow uh, line it up so Kent has to. Uh, <laughs> Be the slave master. Slavery right. Yeah, every card, every card, and then I ask Ken is gonna be like, "You're a slave master in this situation." Right. You're like, okay, okay. about your about your grandma. Oh yeah, here's a really uh, touching story. Kent, you're a slave master. Right? <laughs> My God. All now, right. Next time, so... next time, I think. Oh, I'm gonna beat. I'm I'm gonna beat the system. I'm gonna oh, take yeah. a specific person, Frederick oh, Douglass. I, I hope. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed Miss Kent's. Kent, I hope you all enjoyed Kent's last week as a co-host <laughs> <laughs> on a black-hosted show. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, I want to do one for myself. This is one yeah. I have not uh, read. All right. So I have to think of a specific person. But he, but here's uh, here's uh, the person. This person is the most bombastic, opinionated, and argumentative person you know, who you'd still classify as someone you like. So I'm going to go ahead and say Justin Imers. All right. All right. Justin Imers, who's been on our show. Good guy. I'm now going to have to tell him to listen to this episode. Oh, gosh. All right. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> 
now these are hypothetical situations, right? Real people, hypothetical situations. Yeah. Right? yeah. At Go back some to drinking un- your, 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 your tea, Kent. <laughs> like yeah. at, at some... Un- yeah. Also, I'm a slave master in this situation. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> weird. <laughs> so uh, at, at some unknown point within the next six months, you will be trapped in an elevator for 12 hours. A service alarm periodically emits a brief high-pitched noise so sleeping is impossible. Would you rather be trapped with this person or with an unusually large, moderately affectionate, slightly rambunctious dog? You know what? This one's not as controversial. I would much rather be trapped in the elevator with neither. No, I'm just kidding. No, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would actually rather be in the, uh, in the elevator with, with Justin. Um, primarily because uh, Justin... Uh, and, and I could agree on pee and poop schedules if we needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we he's could never actually, humped your leg. He's never humped my leg. He's never peed on me. He's never pooped on me. But we could actually have. Um, I, I think those are the things that draw draw me to him primarily because I tend to be bombastic, uh, uh, opinionated, and argumentative as well. Oh, I was uh, going to say your I've, pee and poop schedules being the same is what yes, drew no, you to him. No, okay. but we've uh, we've both tempered uh, ourselves in that the older we get and, and the closer we grow, more politically aligned. Um, but I think that twelve hours would be a long time for either of us with each other trapped in an elevator. It would be a long time for anybody, honestly. But I think that we are, since we're both uh, conscious, not, not that dogs aren't conscious, but we're humanly conscious, I think that we could have fruitful conversations in, in 12 hours uh, time. We might get on each other's nerves, but uh, not to the point that, uh, you know, I'd be really mad at a dog and really couldn't, the dog wouldn't really understand. You know so. what that what that reminds me of is uh, you you remember former senator uh, and uh, longtime comedian and former senator Al Franken. Yes, yes. Al Franken once said of his uh, his colleague Ted Cruz. He said the thing you have to understand about Ted Cruz is that I like Ted Cruz far more than almost any of our colleagues, and I <laughs> hate Ted Cruz. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that had nothing to do with this. You just wanted to give that great. Quote. No, I was thinking about. I was thinking about uh, somebody bombastic that you like uh, but okay. have to spend time with. Yes. Okay. Okay. But uh, it's it, it, interesting enough. So uh, Justin has been on a number of episodes. Uh, I think uh, one of the more recent ones was with we, we the why I'm conservative is a while ago at this point. Yep. I don't think Steve, you were a host yet. No, that um, was a why, couple of years. Why I'm why I'm conservative and then moving beyond uh, identity politics. And it's really interesting, the 180 I have seen in him, literally, like the 180 I've seen in him ideologically uh, in regards to, to those conversations. Even He's even asked me, how did you put up with me? It was like, dude, huh. like uh, when I was in the hospital, sick in the hospital, you came and visited me. Uh, when your baby was born, I was one of the first people to come and, and say congratulations. Like when you were arguing with your wife, um, you would come over to my apartment and we would watch Battlestar Galactica. Someone would always be bleeding or have somebody's blood on them in the show. And we would just watch that. Or sometimes we would talk theology. And so at the end of the day, it's like, he's one of those people that like, I told him, like I put up with you because you're actually in my life and willing to invest regardless of the, the differences that we have. 
I knew that you were worth investing in. And I also knew you'd come around, right? So it, it's just kind of interesting uh, that uh, th- that's why I could be in the elevator now. Now, if he was still that same person a while ago, <laughs> I'd be picking the rambunctious dog. I'd be picking the rambunctious dog. <laughs> this is I was honest. just, like, I was just, just gonna say, uh, <laughs> you know, I have, I have known, uh, I've known Steve now for over twenty years, and not, neither of us has ever uh, had surgery or been overnight in the hospital in that time. Uh, uh, but I was present at the births of all of his children, and I managed the whole time to not be an insufferable jerk. So I'm mm. saying it's optional. It's 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 optional. I'm not saying that of Justin. I'm saying that you can you can adjust. people grow. Yes. people grow. Okay. People grow. People change. People learn. And I've I've been it's been a, an honor to watch him grow. Um, that being said, Steve, so, so, so we're, we're, we're still in this, um, political series. Not a lot has happened. Uh, I mean, things have happened, obviously the news cycles, you know, come and go and things have happened with like, Hey, Hunter Biden, we, we've seen, um, the, the last Democrat, the, the, the last uh, debate happened between, uh, Trump and, and Biden, which, uh, in, in my opinion, went, uh, much better than the than the first one um i thought it was i thought it was great but still in the in the last couple of weeks not a lot has happened we talked about amy coney uh coney barrett last time we talked um uh, we knew the debate was coming up that has now happened um hunter biden's in the news again in some way shape or form you know was this right was this wrong in terms of you know biden his meeting yada 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 but that's kind of been out there already so there's not a lot of new things to talk about. So we kind of wanted to talk I, from our text earlier, Steve, I would say we want to talk more generally about yeah. politics in, in this episode. Well, this could be kind so of a cleanup, can... a cleanup episode, if you will. Okay. Sure. All right. So yeah, yeah over the, next the... One, the next one's going to have to be about the election, right? right. Or exactly. almost right before the election. So um, you, you kind of came up with the, the topics you thought about talking about. So kind of mm-hmm. lead us. Well, I think these topics were were items that we've been talking about for the last six months and didn't get to or almost got to or otherwise. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, uh, I wanted to uh, talk maybe a little bit about the Electoral College is in the news again um, and has been for a couple of months now. You know, is it antiquated? Should we keep it? Should we get rid of it? Well, it's difficult to get rid of. But the, that being said, um, you know, we could talk a little bit about uh, what the Electoral College is, how it started, and then uh, we can talk about, you know, our opinions on it. Uh, we could also, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit today about, and we, we touched on this before, about court packing. Uh, we can get into that a little bit more. I think, Calvin, you want to jump in a little bit more uh, the next time around we talked about that. Uh, we never did get to do our healthcare episode. Uh, the the experts we wanted, uh, we just could not line up. We had an economist and a, uh, we had somebody who was a little bit more, um, uh, what, what's his, what, what was his, uh, his provider type again? Provider type. Uh, what, what was his, uh, his, 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 his be positive. Ab- <laughs> no, we had, a, we had Abdul, uh, Abdul Al Sayed on at one point and he's an epidemiologist. 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 Uh, uh, and then I, we also had uh, a Paul, uh, I cannot remember his last name right now. Um, but uh, it does direct care, direct yeah. primary care uh, in the city of Detroit uh, as well. Pl- Plum Health, Plum Health, if you're in the Detroit yeah, yes. area, go look them up. Can't remember his name right now because 
you've asked me, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, go that, on. That being said, uh, we did not get the subject matter experts we wanted to, but there are a few yeah. things that uh, specifically Kent and I do work somewhat in, in, in those fields, which we can give our two cents from that point of view, not speaking for anyone that's at, at all and not being subject matter experts ourselves, but being able to give a little bit uh, information on that. Um, and then the three of us, I mean, I think that uh, it's it's worth the discussion about what universal health care looks like, what Medicare for all looks like for average people. And I consider the three of us uh, have either worked for companies or worked for ourselves and had to figure out how we were going to get insurance. So I, I think, uh, you know, we could talk for a little bit about that. Paul Thomas. Um, Paul Thomas. Mm-hmm. Paul, Paul Thomas. Thomas. Thank you. Paul Thank you for that. Yes, okay. Paul, Paul Thomas. Uh, Appreciate it. Two apostles yeah. of Christ. Okay. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, so let's, so if you are, if you want to get started, uh, Kent, I think Kent and I have been more uh, in uh, offline away from the show, have had more discussion on the electoral college and, you know, whether we support it or not over the last several months. Uh, Kent, do you want to start here and talk Ex- to us about your understanding of the electoral college and uh if you'd like to see it go or if you'd like to see it stay well uh when you said my understanding of the electoral college i understand it a damn sight better than you no i'm i mean um uh, i'll see you in hell <laughs> I, all right so i guess let's talk about how it how it started okay as far as as far as i am aware it started uh, what obviously started in 1788, mm-hmm. um, 1788, um, as a recognition that, uh, now, now let me ask you this before mm-hmm. I, I say that in 1788, was there anybody, was there any nation on earth that you know of that was democratically electing their leaders? No, I think that's part of it is that, uh, the, the direct democracy, or at least something close to direct democracy, was not being done anywhere else. Well, I will. So, I will say this though. Mm-hmm. Um, though, uh, though, in 1788 and for several years longer, uh, King George III was still the monarch in mm-hmm. the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. He was at the end of his he at, at the end of his reign was weaker than he was at the beginning of his reign and every king prior to that because parliament was becoming more more important during that time yeah. so were were ministers of parliament or your parliamentary representative were they elected by direct democracy in the late 1700s i think in the Com- house of commons i and i i'm not i'm not positive i think in the house of commons that's possible in the house of lords i don't believe so I don't think they are now. I don't. Lords aren't elected no, now, are they? No, no it's a, no. So yeah. I'm going to say uh, Commons, maybe King, okay. definitely not. King, definitely not. No. So so yes, still not. Ele- still not. Um, <laughs> so elect, but electing the president, yes. uh, the 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 executive power of your country was brand new. Uh, having having democracy like that, it was. So they were the uh, the founders at the convention were definitely in uncharted water uh, at the time. So it was a recognition. The Electoral College was a recognition that um, if we that they that we have thirteen at the time uh, individual uh, states, uh, mm. uh, regions, provinces, territories, states who are 
going to act together for purposes of, at that time, uh, foreign policy and trade as a single, as, as, a, as a union. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, this is more your area of expertise, it seems to me that in the early days of the United States, <clears throat> it was more like the European Union of today than it is the United States of today. Yes. Okay. I think I think really that even tr- uh, that even exp- all the way to almost the Civil War. Right. Uh, that it was a lot more like a you, they were bound together on necessity versus a real United mm-hmm. State Capital U cap. You know. But yes, it's, yes. It's, it's also kind of interesting. Like so, I don't know if you guys have re- read the Federalist Papers. They're they're fantastic. If you've um, not read them all, yeah. Um, but. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, who obviously, you know, Kent loves the, the play Hamilton. I love the play Hamilton. Steve doesn't. Uh, uh, Steve, is a, down, he, he hates it. He was like, these people were white. Why are they all being played mm-hmm. by black people in rapping? I was so confused. Any sense. What was right. going on? I feel like that joke would have worked better for Kent as he was the slave owner. Um, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, uh, Alexander Hamilton, uh, Federalist Paper number 68. Uh, he talked about the Electoral College, right? He actually made a defense of the Electoral College. Because he believed that uh, people ought to have a say in who governs them. But at the same time, he also added this caveat. He's like, but we also don't really trust them, which is why the Electoral College ought to exist. Because these are people who we believe can and should elect the person that should be in, in that station. Uh, so, and, and this is how it you know, kind of impinges on, on the... Uh, on, the world we live in today, because we're, we're asking these questions in, in 2020, in this particular election, in, in the 2016 election. It's like, what if a politician came along and was an, unscrup- an unscrupulous person? They were let's, just let's criminal, they were, they were crooked, but they said what uh, the electorate wanted to hear, a particular segment, segment of the electorate wanted to hear. It restored to them some sense of self, um, whether that self was truly attacked or not, right? We talked about culture wars a few weeks ago. Um, And they basically take America by storm, but they are really a charlatan. Alexander Hamilton's perspective was the Electoral College essentially ensures against that. If America is taken by a charlatan, a snake oil salesman, then the electoral college then ensures, hey, this is what the people say they want, but we know who should be in that station. We've been elected to this position to elect who the president is. Uh, and that was that was that was uh, Hamilton's defense of the electoral college is like, hey, look, and I, people could be taken in, and so we've put this in as a stopgap to make sure that, that doesn't happen. And that yeah, was and I, true I, until this year. Well, because no, the, the Supreme issue... Court ruled this year that now electors are legally bound by yes, the popular vote yes. in their stuff. But, yes, I was, but I was talking was, about the founding father. Right. Yeah. But that was that was unofficially true for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. In 1788, electors who were brought together, I believe uh, Federal 68 said brought together, uh, they were supposed to have a transient existence uh, because they could, you know, they were they were there for the moment to do the job and then leave so they could do whatever they want. The, if the if the, the the people of their state wanted one thing, they could go against them in order to guard against a charlatan. Uh, however, that has not been true for some time because uh, our modern country over the last 50, 60, 70 years would not have had it if they voted for somebody and their stead said, 
nah, you guys were taken in by a charlatan. We're going to go a different way. So while, yes, it just became, uh, it, you know, legally, it just became that way. It hasn't really what Alexander Hamilton wanted in that. Right. Hasn't I believe been that. true in a very, very, very long time uh, for the, for those reasons. Um of course, we also have to make sure that we say Alexander Hamilton wanted a president for life at one point this, mm-hmm. during these proceedings right, as well. Right. Right. The man uh, was not without flaws. Well, yeah. I mean, in, in, I think any 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 discussion of Electoral nice. College, this was uh, this was not a perfect system. This was a compromise because they didn't know how to do it. Yep. Uh, but so. it wasn't a three fifths compromise, now was it? No. Well. <laughs> uh, que- well, question question about the the electoral college as it exists today um this is probably a steve question but calvin jump in mm-hmm. if you feel like surprising me um michigan has uh 60 has 16 electoral votes california has 55 texas has 38 that's academic here's the question we're eight days away from the election um have have for the state of michigan have joe biden and donald trump already selected 16 michiganders to represent them in the college and those people know it or do those people get appointed after a win or after the the process is over uh i think it's after the process is over because they meet in december i don't remember the date in december but that's when the the college actually gets together. I don't think they have them yet. So only the winner selects electors. Selects <sighs> electors. Okay. Now they may have how many member, how many representatives you have in Congress. Plus, so, yes. yes, yes, yeah. I, but I think, but to say that no one knows who they might be already is probably unlikely. But they probably technically don't pick them. Like, until... and, and are these people like, like in Michigan? In Michigan, our governor is a Democrat, and our secretary of state is a Democrat, mm-hmm. and our attorney general is a Democrat, and both of our senators are Democrats. Are they going to be electors, or is it more like common folk? Well, I think it's supposed to be uh, a different a, – a common folk. I think it's supposed to be. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure I – don't, I don't think it's elected officials. They're not okay. supposed – right, because going back to what we are talking about with Hamilton, they're supposed to just come together – do this thing and then disperse again. And I don't right. think that's changed. Okay. So. And all you have to do is win a plurality, by the way. Uh, well, they have to win 50% of the electoral votes. 270 electoral votes. Well, anybody who wins a plurality of the popular vote in the state gets all of them. Yes. He's talking, oh, yes. Yeah. He's talking yes. about on a state basis, yes. not, yes. not, yes. not yes. national. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Right. Sorry. <clears throat> so, Kent, why, why don't you like the Electoral College? Um, because of how it turned out last time. Yeah. Um, I just, <laughs> if we're being honest, um, because. So you're fine with it. Well, well before we get into that actual reason, yeah. then, are you saying that you were fine with it? Otherwise you're fine with it when it works, but not okay with it when it doesn't work against the guy that you like, or you're not fine with it when it doesn't work period. Because I think I, that's a more telling answer. I think it overcomplicates a relatively simple i think it overcomplicates a relatively simple um issue uh that is we talked about the <clears throat> we talked about the the nature of the union prior to the civil war uh where we were united states and states mattered more and since the civil war 
and especially since uh, about the 1920s, after World War I, uh, the emphasis has been uh, more on the word united and less on the word states. States in the lifetime of any uh, – states matter a lot less than they used to. The simplest way to go about electing a leader for the country is to ask how many people uh, – how many uh, – Americans in this case – how many Americans uh, voted for you versus how many, Ameri- how many Americans voted for the other person. That's the way it's done in France and Germany. Well- and any other democracy on earth well let me let me ask, else, let me yeah. ask let me let me ask this then um i'm i'm going to try to play a neutral party between the two of you and i'll um, be the slave master and you can be the slave master yeah. which is definitely not a neutral position no, um, no. <laughs> uh but six, 60% i was just kind of doing some research on this that six over 60% of americans live in cities at this point in American history. So uh, I'm pretty sure um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Thomas Jefferson was against the rise of cities because he believed that cities bred vice, when, but I think he also foresaw this coming as well. When we say cities, uh, what are we talking about? Cause I think it's way more than 60% live in cities. Um, like is, I, is Royal Oka city. You know what? I didn't, I didn't parse out what city meant. Okay. So I'm looking at like a New York city. But okay. I'm assuming I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say maybe the study that I was looking at just meant anything that has city in its title, city of Royal Oak, city of Detroit, city of yeah. uh, New York. But when most people think cities, we're thinking like you're New York, we're thinking you're Los Angeles, we're thinking okay. of Detroit, we're thinking Chicago, right? So um, New York has what, 23 million people? Eight, New York has 8.5 million people. 8.5? That's, I understand that's a, that's. One, that's one third of what you were previously saying. I'm sorry. But... I'm sorry. New York's metropolitan area. Sure. New York's metropolitan I'll, area. I'll, I don't know that, but I'll buy that. Right. Okay. Sure. Uh, that that includes New Jersey, also Connecticut. Okay. The so. the state of Connecticut. Yeah, it's it's considered part All of right. the metropolitan area, right? So we're talking about 23 million people, which you know that's three times the combined uh, the combined uh, number of people who live in the ten smallest states. Okay. All right. So my question then is if we go to the direct vote. Yeah. And you've got this New York metropolitan area with $23 million. Why would a A people not $23 million. So 23 million people, right? Um, Why would a candidate not just then focus all of their finances and campaigning to those area? Why, why would I, as a, uh, as Joe Biden or Donald Trump uh-huh. care about Nebraska. Why would I care? Well, let me uh, offer you a counterexample uh, to avoid answering that question. Um, or you can just answer the question. That's cool. Neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden went to Nebraska this year either. Nobody okay. ever goes so to maybe Nebraska. I, maybe I used the wrong state, um, but... Nobody um, ever goes to Wyoming or the Dakotas. Okay. I mean, it so... just doesn't happen. So in that sense, I, yeah. I wish we could get somebody from a Nebraska or Wyoming on the phone who already say, hey, we, we have a very low number in the Electoral College as it is. We don't yep. feel like we have a voice. But let's say we went to a direct vote and we didn't have it, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we were in this situation. Now a Nebraska and a Wyoming is back in play. Yeah. But they don't have the big cities. So they're still avoided. 
So in that sense, let's say the electoral college was never a thing. We just had the direct vote. Okay. Why should somebody care about a state that doesn't have big cities where, where all the people are? There's because... a person in Nebraska who is also part of the United States who Joe mm-hmm. Biden the other night in his, in his uh, debate said, I'm not thinking about red states and blue states. We're all the United States. Wyoming and, and Nebraska are part of the United States. Yeah. Would, would you feel like you had a voice if you lived in those states? Well, again, was it a rec- you, if there was a vote, a you vote. don't now. However, your votes are taken. You're, ta- you're now, like then, your votes would be taken for granted. However, all votes, uh, all votes without the electoral college would count. For instance, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is up for uh, Congresswoman from the Bronx, part of New York City, for our you know lesser bane listeners. Uh, she's a congresswoman from New York City who is about to be reelected to a second term, uh, her second term, and she's going to win by approximately 60 points. But the Bronx has about 20% Republicans. Their votes don't matter. In California, Donald Trump is going to lose California by 30 points, but California is easily one-third Republican, and their votes don't matter. All votes in direct democracy would matter. States wouldn't matter. All right, Steve, your thoughts? Um, I think that's wrong. Go <laughs> go on. So, so I think that when you, um, if it was direct democracy, that's absolutely what Calvin said would a- absolutely happen, is that you would not care about most of the rest of the country because you, didn't, you don't need to, to go talk to them. Uh, you don't ever need to talk to New Mexico. You don't ever need to talk to Iowa. You don't ever need to talk to many, many of those states. Uh, given as it is right now with Electoral College, depending on the year, any one of those states might be necessary to win, depending on your electoral math. Uh, this year, no one cares about, let's say, New Mexico. <clears throat> Four years ago, New Mexico may have been an integral part of the five or six swing states that you needed. I mean, I care about ago. New Mexico a lot Ten this year. Absolutely. Five there, electoral votes. But there are some years, yeah. those five votes are huge some years, mm-hmm. and they don't matter other years because everything's always the, – the big states, the big cities are always going to have more attention spent on them. However, because of the Electoral College, the states, the small states that matter are different every year based on electoral math. And electoral math is based on who's your running mate. Are they from there? Uh, what kind of support are you getting in that in that state? Uh, is that state not usually not in play, but for some weird reason that is in place? So now we're actually going to spend money there. If we go to let direct me, let vote, me ask, let me ask you this question, Steve. Then um, let, let's say that we abolished it. I know you're defending it. Let's say it was abolished, and and we went to a direct vote. Mm-hmm. Um, would the vote shift that dynamically? And, and my question is coming from the point of view of, hey, that New York metropolitan area has 23 million people. All right. So it's 23 million people or 23 million people. That's where they are. So if we were to uh, abolish it, would New Mexico have a city large enough that all of a sudden came into play? Like, hey, we're back on the we're back on the we're back on the board. No. Albuquerque, no, I, I wouldn't spend any time in Albuquerque. If I were trying to figure out where I was going to be spending my time, 
I'd spend it in San Diego. I'd spend it in Los Angeles. I'd spend it in San Antonio. I'd spend it in Dallas. I'd spend it in Houston, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago. I would. That's where my money would be spread the large because there's no point in me sending people or, uh, or to visit or to talk to people in Albuquerque or get on the radio or get on the television or even listen to them because I just don't need to. Now, the thing that the Electoral College does is – and what it does, what it does is it makes sure that uh, candidates at least at least pay lip service, but also actually visit some of these places. Because, as I said, depending on the year, there's a rotation of swing states that matter and in, in other states that don't. Um, as it is now, uh, those states get a say, and sometimes those states have to get together to have a say. Wyoming and the Dakotas and Montana. And and Kansas and Nebraska, you know, basically have to vote as a block to get their their voice heard, which is that's fine. That's what they've been doing. And what makes the Electoral College so good in this sense is that they are being listened to and being represented by their own voice. They don't have to worry about somebody else voting on their behalf. Uh, if we went to just uh, San Diego and Los Angeles and Philadelphia and Chicago and New York mattering, because basically if you get six of those, if you get the, you know, the majority of those six or seven cities, you're going to have the majority of the country. And so what's going to happen is they are going to speak for themselves. Those cities are going to speak for themselves about what is important to them. And the candidates will make promises based on where those votes are. And those, those, those candidates will never, have to go listen and never have to make any promises uh, or even pretend to care about what's happening in the places that don't matter to them. In that case, all of those fly over states uh, as it is now. Uh, Philadelphia can, can talk about Philadelphia and vote for Philadelphia. And uh, Nebraska can talk about Nebraska and vote for Nebraska. And because of electoral college, it forces the candidates to at least pay some attention to those places where if we didn't have to do that, you would never hear from any of those states in the middle. I just don't see like, like we started out talking, there are places that candidates never go now. Dick Cheney was from Wyoming. Dick Cheney Mm -hmm. didn't go to Wyoming. No, it's because the people of Wyoming were basically, uh, they were counted on the majority of the people, Wyoming, they had a voice. People were listening to it. They didn't have Dick Cheney uh, and and George W. Bush were ha- had policies that the people of Wyoming agreed with, and so they voted red. They uh-huh. didn't have to go there; their voice was heard. Okay, right. so okay, so, so I, I I think a question at bottom, uh, you know, just a practical question, I think for the Electoral College is who does um, who does the Electoral College ultimately benefit? Because as I, you know, and again, I was looking at this just kind of historically uh, down through the years, the Electoral College tends to, not that it has necessarily gotten that far off from the popular vote to begin with. We've only had this problem a few times in American history um, where the person who won the popular vote didn't win the Electoral College. Um, but the Electoral College as quote unquote an institution, which it is not, but for lack of a better term, um, as an American institution, tends to benefit one party or one region and has done this since its inception, right? You know, beginning with that three-fifths compromise, right? And, and we don't need to get into uh, this, you know, the slavery side of things because I know Kent is going to go wild on that because he sure. loves owning people. Yep. Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, but, hypothetically, um, one guy 
But um, historically, the Electoral College has primarily benefited the GOP in right, each gonna, of its inception. In, in, in each gonna, of its inceptions. All right, so I'm going to push back here. Okay. In, eight, in 1876 and in 1888, the uh, the, the the Republican Party represented the North basically, and the Democratic Party was the segregationist former slave owning South. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, while the GOP has benefited four times from this, the GOP of 1876 is different than the GOP of 2016. So that's number one. Number two, uh, in 1876 and 1888, both years, uh, I believe it was uh, Benjamin Harrison who won in 76 and Hayes, Rutherford B. Hayes won in 88. So the reason that they had actually won a national popular vote was because of uh, voter suppression in the South. And so, but they lost the Electoral College. So this, so the fact that they lost, uh, even though they won the majority of the popular vote, both in 76 and 88, you could, real actually- time, Real time fact check, by the way, Benjamin Harrison was 88. I don't yeah. know about seven, uh, yeah. uh, Benjamin Harrison, Harrison was 76 or it was, I thought Hayes was 88. I thought no. Harrison was 76. So Har- Harrison split the two. He split the two terms of Grover Cleveland winning the electoral college, but losing the popular vote to Cleveland's reelect in 88. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I reversed the two 76 sure. and 88, okay. but both years, uh, Harrison they, Cleveland, right. <clears throat> yeah. But, but in both years, uh, the reason that the, uh, Democratic Party won is because voter suppression in the South. Uh, but thanks to the Electoral College, uh, they di- that didn't figure in who the winner ended up being, which was at the time uh, anti-segregationists. So yes, while the GOP has you know prospered four times, two of those times was a different GOP than the GOP we have of today. And True. yeah, it's and been I- it's been. <laughs> It's the, the right, one which is why, the, which is why I said GOP in in its various iterations. When I when okay. I put that out there, like I know that they switch ideologically, right, but, but but one ideology is not prospering one hundred percent of the time. And and as a matter of fact, the popular vote in electoral college has lined up ninety five percent of the time. Well, rather than rather than say that the that the Republican Party um, benefits from this, it's not. And on paper, they do. Who benefits from the electoral college is rural voters. And the reason rural voters benefit from the Electoral College is because electors are assigned uh, that there is – all right, so if your state has 10 members of Congress, you have 12 electoral votes because you get an elector for every member of Congress you have, including two senators. And, and senators are not fairly apportioned uh, by population. Uh, Rhode Island, uh, which is literally 20 miles across – has two senators and california which is larger than japan uh has two senators um i don't know off the top of my head what the population of rhode island is but i know that wyoming has a has fewer people than the city of detroit and they have two senators california has uh two senators for 40 upwards of 40 million people um so because you get senators based on where the lines are drawn, uh, no matter how many people you have, uh, if you live on 
in the great open spaces, the Electoral College benefits you. See, and I think that the Electoral College benefits the entire country because what the Electoral College does is it balances the voice of people who live in metropolitan areas and people who live in rural areas. Without the Electoral College – This is something I found, Steve, and and based on what you just said, let me read this statement because I wanted to jump in and I want you to comment on it. Um, But according to a recent study out of the University of Texas, in a close race in the modern era – modern era, right? So right now, right? Uh, the Electoral College significantly favors the GOP. And we're talking about the GOP of now, not of like 1888, right? So one of the authors, Michael Garuso, said uh, this, quote, today Republicans are more likely to benefit from an inversion primarily because each state's representation in the Electoral College is equal to its number of U.S. senators plus its number of U.S. representatives, meaning that each individual citizen vote corresponds to a greater share of the Electoral College for Wyoming than for a large state like California and Texas, which I think is what Kent Witt is saying. Because by and large, small population states lean Republican, this feature benefits Republican candidates, unquote. So there are so far, there there have so far been five instances of a candidate winning the popular vote, but losing the Electoral College. So we're talking about 2016, Trump- The Jackson one doesn't really count though. It was a different scenario. 2000, Bush Gore, before that, 1888, Harrison Cleveland, 1876, Hayes, uh, Tilden, and 1824, Adams, Jackson, whether you count it or not, it's still there, matter of history, right? Uh, so each well, of these no, no, it's different... not a matter of history. It's, it's okay, so it's... Each, had, each had different circumstances. Yes. I'll give you that, okay, all right? Uh, but that led to that discrepancy, but they all had the same outcome. So the person who got the most electoral votes became president. So we can we can go back and forth about whether that's legitimate or not. They all no, have I'm different not saying circumstances. It's not legitimate. But... I'm just saying you can't just throw out a date without giving some. There was a, the House of Representatives. Yeah, the the House of Representatives. Eighteen, uh, the, basically the the uh, the 1824 election. There was a different set of circumstances in electoral college and, and voting. That's why I didn't include yes. it before. Okay. All right. Well, but either way, it's it had the same outcome, which is what I think most people at the end of the day, most voters, probably people, the people who were voting for Adams or Jackson probably don't think hey you know what 20 years from now is going to be totally different with harrison and cleveland i i, I think that, not that it was 20 years apart but i'm just saying um to the person whose candidate did not win i don't think that matters does that make sense uh i guess yeah the outcome the outcome is the same at sure. the end of the day so your thoughts on well know? yes it does help the gop right now but uh going back to the when you started talking about that, though, the mm-hmm. to, in order to win California, so uh, California, you have to actually like win like sixteen other small states just to equal one California. Mm-hmm. So yep. while the while the 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 individual amount that the voter carries weight with is higher in Wyoming than it is California, you have to win sixteen of those states to equal just California. So I don't think that's an advantage. That's okay. You got to because if even one or two of those states slip away, that's a huge difference because you have to basically count them as a block. And if you don't get them as a block, then it's disadvantageous to you. So, you know, yeah, 16 of those states. But uh, and while it it does uh, favor the GOP to have the Electoral College now, it favors them because it balances things Uh, without without uh, the Electoral College, uh, it would throw it one to to where the metropolitan cities are and see here's the biggest thing so 
uh, if we got rid of the electoral college immediately, one year, mm-hmm. things would be great because people because both the GOP and the Democratic Party will focus on cities. Cities are far more diverse. They are far more different kinds of people. They're going to have to actually listen to people they've never heard of before. They okay? tend to be far more educated as well. They're going to look different. They're going to act different. They're going to have different beliefs, which is great. But we right now, the difference, the divide is between metropolitan and urban or and, and, uh, rural. Uh, as soon as uh, both sides recalibrate to the new system, we're just going to come up with new ways to divide people. Uh, we're going to divide it among race even more so, and we're going to do it right in, in, in metropolitan areas. Uh, we're going to do it by age. We're going to do it by gender. Uh, we're going to do it by uh, you know uh, ethnicity. We're going to find new ways to divide people. So while I like the idea uh, day one that it makes the both parties focus on far more diverse areas, we're just going to change uh, how we divide up people. And really, I think the people that are going to be uh, lost getting rid of the electoral college are going to be People of color in the rural states, Hispa- people of Hispanic descent, uh, black communities in rural states. If you weren't being listened to before, or if it was, it was, you know, if it was iffy, if you were getting listened to before, now you're forgotten and you will never be heard from again. So if yeah, you know, if you're Hispanic I, in in Kansas, uh, you're no one's ever going to listen to and, you. And okay, so I know I've said I've tried to be neutral between the two of you. The only reason I'm going to speak up is because people who listen to the show know my, my background. Um, I think that is a noble perspective, but I think it is an incorrect perspective in that black and Hispanic voters in rural areas do not tend to vote liberally they tend to vote very conservatively. So I do not think their voice would be unheard in no, those no, spaces but, that are already voting. But that's towards... not what I'm saying. I'm okay. saying it doesn't matter what they believe. They're not going to be okay. listened to. That's what I'm saying. Whether they vote conservative or not, no one's ever going to know because no one's ever going to go listen to them. Their voices oh, will not okay, be listened okay. to. That's fair. In, okay. in southwestern Kansas, uh, whereas but they're going to vote. They're going to vote. But they're going to vote in line with what however that state was going to go anyway is what i'm saying well let me uh let me push back a little bit because that is the that is the buzzword for the day uh let me push back um uh joe biden was on the ropes his candidacy was on life support after the iowa caucuses and new hampshire primary and i remember the three of us were together we were having gourmet hot dogs the night that biden those came were good back. ass hot dogs. They were. They were delicious. The night that he came back from the dead to romp in the South Carolina primary on mm-hmm. the strength of his of the loyalty of black voters, black voters, absolutely, approximately, yep. which are approximately a third of the electorate in South Carolina, and black voters being overwhelmingly pro Biden and being a wildly oversized, um, uh, not plurality, but wildly oversized component of the electorate in South Carolina, Trump is still going to win South Carolina by a lot. Yes. Uh, So black voters don't, at least in South Carolina, don't vote the way the rest of their state does. True. Uh, And that that's fair. Uh, for and that's where I think when you were getting your candidacy in place, 
states play a particular role in like getting me on the ballot, I know that I'm going to win this state in terms of making me the candidate. I know I'm not going to take the state in the general election, but all I need is South Carolina for now. That doesn't mean that I don't owe South Carolina a favor. This doesn't mean that I don't care about South Carolina. I absolutely do. They're the ones who got me here. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who got me here early, but I don't forget the people who were there early. You never forget the people that you came up with. That's that that black saying, not that black. Dance with the one who brung you. Yeah. Right. That's right. So there we go. But Hey, let's, let's take a, um, let's take a, a five minute break. 25 minute break. I hear you. A five minute break. Okay. And then we will come back and Steve will take us into the second half of the show. Well, hey, everybody, we are back from break and we're going to continue our conversation about politics. Um, I think uh, we're going to start off talking about uh, court packing. Is that right, Steve? Yes. Yes, it is. We, so we okay. touched upon this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden have been dodging questions for or dodged questions for about a month on whether they were going to uh, add justices to, to the Supreme Court uh, they finally got an answer, which was Joe Biden saying, we're going to look at it, which is a great answer that everyone hated. And <laughs> so, so yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of court packing, uh, what court packing is and uh, who it would benefit, how it would benefit the Supreme Court, or would it perhaps be a detriment? So Kent, let me, let me start by, let me start by saying, um, I have I have come around to the idea that while court packing is a f- is a familiar term, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're playing on enemy territory to call it that. I mean, you're yeah. you're playing with their you're playing with their their deck and their dictionary to call it that um, because they're trying to they're trying to evoke uh, a scheme from I don't know what was it 1935 36. Um, where Franklin Roosevelt was having trouble, um, all, all of his all of his New Deal programs were getting struck down by the, or right. a lot, obviously, most of some them. survived. A lot of his New Deal programs were being struck down by the Supreme Court in 1935, 36. So in the the latter part of the 1930s, he wanted to. Uh, he wanted to add justices to the Supreme Court, and there was there were some intricacies surrounding that about justices turning seventy and what have you. I I am not really up to date, but basically, he I wanted think it to was yeah court, seven years old. Yeah, he wanted to make the court bigger, um, and by making it bigger, he wanted to obviously he was the president. He wanted to appoint uh, the justices that would make it bigger. Um. So, and. Uh, the American people were not uh, the American people were not on board with this, and it was a political fiasco, and uh, it didn't happen. And so the Supreme Court stayed at nine, which, to my understanding, nine justices reflected the there was a justice for every circuit that we had in the United States. There were nine courts of appeal. There were nine circuits or courts of appeal, uh, and each. And each court of appeal had a supervising justice. We are now at uh, thir- we we now have thirteen circuits. So there is a proposal being bandied about to increase the court to thirteen justices, one for every circuit. 
this would I I don't really know what it would accomplish except that every every circuit would obviously have a justice assigned to them for administrative work. Um, go ahead. It really Steve. feels though like having one for every. I mean, I don't know how that really matters. I, I yeah, think I if, don't think it really. If does. we're using it as a legal as a a basis for making an argument about adding justices, yeah. Sure, but sure. I, don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think, think it matters. I don't think it matters. And, and calling it court packing, by the way, if if the idea is to put more people on the court, yeah, that agree with you, yeah, uh, putting them into a room, making that room more full, yeah, packing it, if you will, it would be it would be packing, <laughs> packing. Yeah, it, it, is, it um, is. But I I agree with you though. It is a it, that I mean it is playing on if if you are. Uh, against it it's your turf by calling sure. it court pack because court packing sounds uh mischievous yes, or devious or however you want to say it malicious uh and, and and i remember when we first talked about this my my opinion was oh i don't know that we want to do that mm-hmm. because because if you do it you better do it right because uh the other side is going to come back on you more so <laughs> you yep. know if Why you do it now It'll be more. It'll be worse later, and yeah. this thing, this thing's gonna get ridiculous. However, there has been a, uh, and I didn't know about this at the time. We, you know, when we first talked about this, what I'm about to say was not had not happened yet. Oh, uh, things Joe, have gotten so much worse since we first no, no, talked no, about this. No, no. But Joe Kennedy, a week ago or two weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. right? Joe Joe Kennedy and I think a couple other uh, congressmen had uh, come up with a bill, and it didn't, I don't think it went anywhere. Uh, but in a Republican in a, in a different world next year, maybe it'll go somewhere where it, it, uh, there was a, I believe it was an 18 year term limit for Supreme court justices. So I came around thinking, well, I like maybe adding two judges and an 18 year term limit because you're going to, I think, soothe some people on the other side who are going to be like, well, all right. term limits there's a certain group of people and i think in, in government that love the idea of term limits across the board yeah they and would be they would be soothed uh, until the moment somebody tells them that would give joe biden five now the interesting thing about that again uh historically people are are this is a, a few things i want to say on this but uh in terms of the the lifetime appointment to the supreme court lifetime appointment to any federal court it's all lifetime yes so, but when it comes to the Supreme Court, that's all we often think about. We don't think about the other four courts before you get to the Supreme Court, right? So, um, when it comes to the Supreme Court and the lifetime appointment, people are very myopic when it comes to the history of what has happened, because we have now had um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg die while what? on the court, and we have had Antonin Scalia die while on the court. But the tradition has been that, yes, it has been a lifetime appointment, but justices realize, hey, I'm (laughs) – they pull a Danny Glover. I'm too old for this shit, (laughs) right? And that's that's my my one swear word, Kent. And they they generally retire, right? And that that has been the precedent, not a legal precedent, but it has been a precedent set – by Supreme Court justices throughout the years. 
in the modern oh, era, not so although much. Will, William Rehnquist in 2005 died on the bench. So, I mean, it's yes, not it's yes. not unheard of. Yeah, Right. No, I mean, no man knows the day or the hour. So right. you can die. But the precedent has been set by people who have been given this lifetime appointment who get to a certain age and they say, it is best for me. It is best for the country mm-hmm. that I step aside almost like. Like you, you never hear about popes stepping aside, right? Like I, I believe in my just life, one. First, uh, what's just one, right? Um, I've only ever heard of that one time, and that was in my lifetime, right? Yeah. But it's this precedent that most people in our lifetime, in terms of the Supreme Court, have not seen happen, or it it gets lost in the the news cycle of today. Like, hey, yeah, William Rehnquist. What, what year was William Rehnquist when he died? Two thousand five. 2005. So that was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. People don't remember what they had for breakfast yesterday or this morning. Yeah. Right. So, so I think that a lot of people need to be reminded of the fact that, yes, this is a lifetime appointment, but most Supreme Court justices throughout the history of the country have said, much like George Washington after eight years, eight years long, long as the president should serve, most Supreme Court justices who get that lifetime appointment go, I have gotten to the end of my usefulness. It is time to make way for someone else and have stepped down. That's been the general practice of Supreme Court justices throughout the years. No matter how many people we had on the court, that has been the practice. Yeah, it's the it's the rule rather than the exception. Sure. Yes. Now, yes. How, how much of that is and I, I don't know the answer to this. How much of that is uh, the the ability to stay healthier longer now than a hundred years ago? Is there no, any? You, is there anything I, to be? You know? No. Uh, no. 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 I, I think it's a fair question. It's not a question that I've considered. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that there are a number of things that have played into this. Um, I think there are a number of things that play into why we're hoping that someone now why our I, I think there's something that plays into why our generation thinks that that precedent doesn't exist that these people are all going to die on the bench but yeah <laughs> so. because i'm looking at i'm looking at uh anson and scalia i'm looking at uh ginsburg and i didn't see any evidence before they died that they didn't know what they were doing i may have no. disagreed with scalia but I never he thought was in charge of his faculties. Yeah, he was in I never thought for faculties. a moment yeah. he was slipping in any way. Well, no, so he was like there... he was seventy eight though. Yeah, I mean, he was, was seventy eight, and uh, Ginsburg was was a decade older and was far more frail. But she didn't. She right. was not. So I mean, is there a uh, outside of uh, there's reasons we'd like to not have uh, the current president get three three bites of the apple? But that aside, is there any reason? that we should have them step down after 18 years other than it might be in the midst of making a deal because if if they have their faculties and they're good at what they do and they've been there for 18 years and they're great they're a great justice they're a great legal mind uh i might want them for a year 19 year 20 year 21 yeah, but, but, and I, so, but, I, but i think the populace is going to look at that the same way if if we did that if we did that and and the the amount of years right would now. be arbit- would be arbitrary. Yeah, it, it would be the same way. Like, hey, look, uh, somebody could love a president. I could love Obama. I could love Trump. I could love Clinton. I could love Bush. But 
they only have eight years and that's, and, and it is what it is after that. Um, unless you're Roosevelt. Here's why I love the idea of term limits. I love the idea of term limits because you could line it up so that every presidency uh, is going to have uh, a couple of shots to put someone on the bench. And because as it is right now, it starts at, uh, you know, it, it starts early on about who's going to get what and when, and then the people retiring at certain times strategically to make sure that perhaps there's a, a president in office who's going to put someone back just like them. And by, by making sure that you have a rotation, uh, no, matter, uh, no matter which election it is, you can never have a, this could be the most important ever because of A, B, and C. What and term, so term limits allow the situation to be uh, denuclearized. Uh, it it uh, it deescalates the situation, knowing that every president going into the future is going to get two. Uh, and if you get elected again, you'll you get go. two more. I mean, yeah, and it's very predictable. And we don't have any of these situations where you have one particular president. Who has so much? Because it, once again, it also does. Uh, it, it puts so much uh, power into one—not just at one president, but one four-year cycle. Yep. Because the Supreme Court, as it is now, is a lifetime. You know, you could be there forever, and so for the next thirty or forty years, you can affect it by just having one particular four-year cycle that created, or potentially could create a monster. And okay. I think this was never thought about. Uh, 220 230 years ago uh that we would have that we they thought that the senate would check the president they really did not believe uh, in, i thought the Hamilton's senate would check time. the president yeah yeah they did not think uh during the convention uh in those first uh 20 years uh, of the country that we would get to a point where congress would go along with the president they were they were so uh, concerned about any one branch of government having so much power, they all were looking out for their own branch, and they would never have uh, given that much power to an executive because they were would have been they still had King George on the mind. Mm-hmm. And so we are in a completely different world than we were uh, in the late 1700s. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think something does need to change. And while I don't necessarily, I, I might not necessarily be for throwing, you know, let's add six six members of the bench next year <laughs> and like and if you know if the if the democrats have the house the senate the the uh the white house if they've got the power to pull the uh, the, the 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 levers to do that but i like the idea of term limits and i like the idea of adding a couple because yep. uh what can uh what was uh this year has been a if i hear elections have consequences one more <laughs> time for mitch McConnell, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, throw something out the window. I so think, here's something uh, on topic, yeah. off topic. Um, I've been reading a book uh, recently, uh, an ac- you know, academic treatise uh, called Critical Race Theory, and you know we talk about race quite a bit on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll just say a quote from this book, Critical Race Theory, uh, third edition, academic treatise. Um, here we're talking about rights. Um, quote, moreover, rights are said to be alienating. They separate people from each other. Quote, stay away, I've got my rights, unquote, rather than encouraging them to form close, respectful communities. And with civil rights, lower courts have found it easy to narrow or distinguish the broad, ringing landmark decision like 
Brown v. Board of Education. The group that supposedly benefits always greets cases like Brown with great celebration. But after the signing and dancing die down, the breakthrough is quickly cut back by narrow interpretation, administrative obstruction, or delay. In the end, the minority group is left little better than it was before, if not worse. Its friends, the liberals, believing the problem has been solved, go on to a different campaign such as Saving the Whales, while its adversaries, the conservatives, furious that the Supreme Court has given way once again to undeserving minorities, step up their resistance, unquote. So I'm looking at this conversation about the Supreme Court, and I see these landmark decisions. Brown v. Board of Education is a big one for me because obviously, uh, you know, it has to do with race, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, um, which is what set the precedent for what had to be undone by Brown v. v. Board of Education. Um, uh Loving uh, Virginia, uh, sorry, Probably Loving v. Virginia. V Virginia. Yeah. yeah, Loving v. Virginia, which allows me to be married to my wife and, and so on and so forth. Um, we, we look at the Supreme Court as the, the final arbiter of the law of the land, which was honestly, that's situated back in what, Marbury versus Madison? The Supreme Court defined yes. what its job was. Judicial well, supremacy, I've, or not supremacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Judicial, yeah. Review. judicial review. Judicial review, right? So um, in my, and I'll say albeit recent, within the last year and a half, two years, study of critical race theory, which springs out of law study, by the way. Most people are like, oh, sociology, history, they're revisioning, it's just racist. It comes out of law study. So most people commenting on it have no idea what they're talking about. This is one of the great things I found about reading through this stuff. Um, when it comes to the Supreme Court and the decisions that it makes and how important it is and the impact of, you know, elections have, uh, have consequences, I, I don't deny those things, but I also wonder if, based on what I, that this quote out of context, but um, adding more context doesn't really change what was said, I wonder if the supremacy or the importance that we place on the Supreme Court, people being very, very upset with Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying and now Amy Coney Barrett being, who's going to be nominated tomorrow. She's been nominated. She's going to be probably confirmed 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 tomorrow, tomorrow, October 26th. Um, If it is as large of an issue as we think it is, given how landmark decisions by the Supreme Court are addressed at the state level over time. Now, I may only be thinking about in terms of race issues, um, but if it can be dealt with in regards to race issues with something you disagree with on the state level, it can be addressed the same way. Delay, obstruction for, for other issues as well. Thoughts? Yep. Did, did that question make sense? Or the statements I just made make sense? Well, I didn't quite get the question in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so the question is, is the Supreme Court as important as we think it is if oh. once, once the landmark decision has been made that it takes forever for something to, to be, to be laid out? I mean, uh, case in uh, case in point, I mean, I got, I got to, I, I just had a, a spot saved in a book I was reading. I'm sorry. Um, 
uh, judicial branch. Okay, Are you so, asking if the Supreme Court is as important as it as we say it is? Is that what your, your question? So yeah, so so let me yeah so and and let me bring this to to, to bear. Uh, and this is from a book called A User's Guide to Democracy. Uh, in the decision of Loving v. Virginia, 1967, that's the, the law that struck down anti-miscegenation laws, anti-interracial marriage laws, the court unanimously voted that a Virginia law preventing interracial marriage was un- unconstitutional. Uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren said, uh, the freedom to marry... Can you guys still hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed by the state. This meant each state with laws forbidding or punishing interracial marriage had to be had to remove them. However, Virginia didn't change the law for another year since 1968. West Virginia, Florida, Oklahoma, and Missouri did in 1969, two years later. North Carolina, a year after that. Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi finally did it in 1972. And Delaware and Kentucky in 1974. Tennessee had race-based marriage restrictions until 1978. South Carolina until 1998. And finally, in the year 2000, Alabama became the last state to remove its ban on interracial marriage. So it was not legal for me to marry my ex-wife in Alabama. Well, it was the year I married her. See, yeah, here's the thing. It was there was a law on the books, but but interracial couples were were still getting married. They were still getting married. Yes. Obviously, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like laws that, that are antiquated. Hey, you can't hit your, your horse to a post. Yeah. We're not going to take the time to get this taken off yeah. the, the law books in, in, in Michigan. But yeah. the, the, the fact of the matter is there were still states that didn't legally, they actively aligned, but they didn't legally align with the decision of, yeah. of uh you know, you know, loving the Virginia. And so, and maybe that's not the best case to, to bring up. Maybe a better case is the clerk that was saying that gay peri- people still couldn't get married to take it upon herself to do it. Uh, and people supporting her for that. Um, but my, my thought is if states don't come along, is our saying, oh, Amy Coney Barrett coming onto the court is the worst thing ever because he's going to make decisions when the state can just say, yeah, we're not going to do that for like eight eight, nine, 10, 20 years after you make that decision. Well, yes, it is. Because I think, so in a, in a lot of times, like we just said, some of those antiquated laws, because practice still aligns with what the Supreme Court said, you don't have court cases. So, and I think while it's, 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 there's still a lot of symbolism to not changing those laws to line up with what the Supreme Court said. Uh, like you said, Alabama holding out like a petulant kid, until 2000, they they could not have disallowed the marriages, but they were just being like that. But still, the point is, you were allowed to marry in that state. Uh, uh, interracial couple could get married in the state of Alabama in 1980, whether Alabama said they could or not. So yeah, at the the bottom line is still the decisions made at the Supreme Court level still make a difference. So yeah, they they can be. Uh, they, I think this uh, I, I, I is to, important. Uh, is basically I, I the so. answer is yes. I think they, Ma- they are. Maybe in 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 our loving v. Virginia may not have been the best case. I just thought it was great because I just recently read it. Um, but in the case of uh, Brown v. Board, mm-hmm. and then we get into uh, questions of busing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, busing in the North 
ostensibly the, the home of liberalism and people who were pushing for this kind of stuff. And we were against slavery and yada, 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 and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Busing, dismal failure in the North. Mm -hmm. Absolute success, not absolute, but a success in the South, which were the people that were ostensibly dead set against it. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it came down to states enacting things and obstructing law. Hey, the Supreme Court said this, but we're a state. We still have our state's rights. How can we find a way to delay this, obstruct this? And, and, and so in, in that sense, again, asking the same question again, because it's a better example than Loving v. Virginia, because it wasn't antiquated. It was literally states dead set against it and making it not happen. Like Alabama wasn't keeping black people from getting white, black people and white people from getting married, you know, Asian people and white people getting married, black people and Asian people getting married. I don't think they were doing that. Um, they could have, there may be anecdotal evidence to that. But when we're talking about like things like busing mm -hmm. and uh, desegregation of schools, mm -hmm. we literally saw kids having to be walked into school with okay. the military and tanks so, right. and things but like the, that. So, so the, the reason for that though was a completely uh, separate, uh, story. So in turn, what was happening in the late 1940s, the 1950s and the 1960s is that, uh, the United States was balancing, uh, uh, desegregation versus democracy spreading abroad. Okay. And in order to fight the cold war, uh, presidents like, uh, Kennedy, who may have talked a big game, still needed to toe the line with certain white conservatives in the United States in order to get policies done that were going to help fight the Cold War because Eisenhower, Truman, Eisenhower, uh, uh, Kennedy were just hell-bent on defeating the commies. And if there was a lot of law that was not uh, pursued in the name of trying to hold on to white conservatives in order to uh, make sure that they were going to come on board so we could fight the communists 17,000 miles away. Uh, so it's not that the Supreme Court didn't have the power. It's that the executive branch of the United States chose not to execute the laws of the land in the way they should have. That is a, that is a, uh, a terrible function of, of the executive branch that was them not pursuing i don't think that takes away the power of the supreme court because the supreme court could strike something down but if the executive branch is not going to execute the laws of the land in the way they should be executed then of course you could throw that out just like you could throw out laws too and so i think that was a period of time in this country it just has a lot of it's the systemic racism of this country that you know in any kind of laws that are passed regarding race uh, the country is very slow to act because civil rights, even by people like Bobby and, and John F. Kennedy, they were put on the back burner to a bunch of other things they thought were more important. Uh, you know, so as liberal white Northerners, they still saw, uh, you know, uh, we can't have, I think, uh, what was the quote uh, regarding, uh, basically, uh, Kennedy was accused of having that paternalistic uh, sense of telling uh, the black man, how fast and how slow he should be getting his rights. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And so uh, that, so, so basically what I'm saying there is the Supreme Court still critics were right on that, by the way. Yeah, of course, right. of course they were. Absolutely. They were, they uh, were, look what happened to him. 
well, the, and the funny thing is, uh, so, uh, you know, if you look at, at what Bobby Kennedy, even, even with all his talk, it's because they were concerned with the embarrassment it was going to look like to people in Africa when we we're trying to do, we we're trying to stop African countries from going communist. So it wasn't because Bobby Kennedy, I mean, he may have personally not been a, he may have, you know, I, he, he may or may not have cared one way or another about segregation. Some politi- there, there's he was concerned to it, about how sure. it looked when we were trying to tell everyone in the world, uh, you know, communism is bad. We're for freedom, but then we're not getting our own people freedom. We can't, we can't have right. that on television. So we're going to go send federal groups to make sure that Mississippi don't look like it did in Alabama when the right. freedom riders are coming through. And, and you're hitting, you're hitting on some stuff that I think uh, Derek Bell, who I would consider uh, one of the fathers of or uh, highest intellectual voices within black uh, black uh, critical race theory, um, you're you're hitting on some of the things that he was saying, where you're seeing a a, politi- a political alignment with. Um, I, I would I wouldn't say necessarily ideological views, but I would almost I would say economic views. So I'm thinking about communism and capitalism as economic views, yeah, not necessarily the, the governmental system of of, of communism versus mm-hmm. uh, you know democracy. So, um, but but either way, um, so any uh, we we've got about 15 more minutes. 15 more minutes. Anything else we want to we want to tackle tonight? Anything well, if we, we try to... if we run out of stuff, we've got more Chuck Klosterman. We do, we do, um, we could, we could end with some more th- superheticals. That, that could be some fun. Anything fun. to get off slavery, I'll tell you. I, <laughs> You're the so, one who is a slave owner in this okay. case. Okay, once again, <laughs> you, you are a uh, plantation owner in <laughs> Southern Georgia. You know what? I, you know what? Hey, I, I think that's a good. I think that's a good place to land the plane in terms of the topics we were talking about. It was a great, great conversation. But let, let let's end let's end the show right. with some more okay. of those. I, I can't said okay. it as a joke. He yeah, said okay. it was a joke, but I think Kent uh, can go first this time. Then sure, Kent can go, go first this time. Uh, so Kent now gets a specific person, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so he gets right, a specific so here person. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. All right. And, yeah, Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the most famous person you've encountered in real life. The encounter was not necessarily significant, but you exchanged some level of recognition. In other words, it can't just be someone you saw. It has to be someone with whom you communicated verbally or non-verbally. All right, who is this, Kent? Who, Steve knows exactly what I'm going to say. Yes, I do. Yes, okay, here we go. Here we go. It's uh, NFL Hall of Famer Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders, here we go. Okay, yes. this person is accused of murder. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you framed him. <laughs> what the, the, I the only victim. wish it had been O.J. Simpson. <laughs> the, I know, right? The victim... <laughs> The victim is another celebrity of similar notoriety. Okay. It is a complicated case. There is a there is valid evidence that they are guilty and valid evidence that they are innocent. So here comes a question. Uh-huh. How much does your personal encounter with the alleged murderer affect your view of their guilt oh. or innocence? Oh, none. I, I would say none because you'd be like, man, but he broke all them records. How? Yeah, because <laughs> never I, dropped not- the ball. 99, 99% of my, of my uh, emotional or personal, okay, 99% of my connection to Barry Sanders is watching him on television. 1% okay. is I ran into him in both a bowling alley and on an airplane. So um, I, had okay. a, a, I had a brief, con- I had a brief conversation with him in the bowling alley and it was long enough that when I ran into him on the airplane, there was a flicker of recognition. That said, 
no, it would not affect my opinion of whether or not he had committed murder. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you wouldn't be like, I hope he, uh, you, obviously a human probably be like, I hope he didn't. Right. Sure. But there's evidence one way or the other. Seems like a really uh, nice guy, you know, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. I asked my wife that uh, question earlier and uh, her answer, the celebrity she had met was a guy by the name of uh, Jeremy Camp, who was a Christian oh, yeah. music artist. Met him too. And, and I was like, with him. I, I was like, that would suck. Like, oh, he wrote so many songs I love about I Jesus. Know. It's like how? How yep. did he murder his wife? Did she really Wait, die of cancer? I saw oh, that movie. No. <laughs> there was a, there was an evangelical hypocrite, <laughs> right? Yeah, what is <laughs> yes. that? All right, so Steve, Steve, here, okay. you get a hypothetical person. You get a okay. hypothetical, hypothetical okay. person. This is a person from a different country whom mm-hmm. you have never met. They are roughly your age and height, and their hair and facial features vaguely resemble yours. Okay, so moderately decent looking person not too ugly not too handsome got it all right understood any it could be any man any man it's an every man it's an every every man man. all right okay so here we go here's here's some more background you're backpacking through europe and find yourself Mm -hmm. in a strange city you're exhausted so you rest on a park bench and accidentally fall asleep when you wake you realize your backpack is gone in a panic you go to the police station they tell you there is nothing they can do You exit the police station, angry and confused. Within minutes, you're confronted by the imagined person. Amazingly, they have your backpack. You ask them how they found it and how they knew you were at the police station. But they don't understand your language. The person is rude and behaving strangely, but they return you your backpack. Before you can thank them, the person scampers away. You check your bag. Almost everything is there. Your phone, all your money, your credit cards, and all your belongings only two things appear to be missing your passport and your driver's license to what degree are you relieved and to what degree are you worried now remember this person looks just like you oh, first of all I before meant, he answers I, let me say this is so much more complicated a story than my than i got <laughs> I would, so uh, much more complicated some I of these do. are simple some of them are not I'd be extremely concerned to the point I immediately sprint in the direction that that person went. Yeah. <laughs> that is how concerned I am yeah. because I feel if I don't tackle this person and get my stuff back, some crime is going to be committed. <laughs> we found your passport, Mr. Phelps. And, and we have you on camera. It looks just like you. And be like, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm extremely worried and I'm chasing after the person. That's how worried I am. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So let me let me do one last one for myself, and then we'll we'll call it a night. Okay. Um. I, I got to find some of these because I've asked some of these already, and I don't even on air. I feel like they'd be prepared if I'd already asked it. Um. Okay. All right. So here's what I have not asked. I have nothing. No knowledge of this is a hypothetical person. This is a person who possesses many of the qualities you find likable and attractive. However, their personality is defined by one negative characteristic, which they display in abundance. The negative trait is whichever of the so-called deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, or pride, you find most loathsome. Okay? So it is a hypothetical person. A lot of qualities I like, but they have the negative trait of wrath. Wrath drives me insane. I do not do well with very, very angry people. So 
you work with this person in an office. Of course. Okay. Of course. Here we go. Your jobs are repetitious and unsatisfying. Making matters worse, you learn they earn more than you despite doing the exact same job with the same level of experience. So apparently this person is white and I'm white. black. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right, there we go. By chance, you stumble upon this person doing something highly unprofessional in the office bathroom, a manifestation of the negative trait. Okay. If you report, <laughs> that's not lost. <laughs> no, no. That would have been so much easier. <laughs> All right. So if you report this to your supervisor, there will be dire consequences for the person. Knowing this, the person promises that they will write you a check every month that will double your current salary if yeah. you promise to tell no one what you saw. You also have the option to, of simply walking out of the bathroom and doing nothing at all. Which of these three options do you select? Ooh, okay, so so if I tell on them, there's dire consequences, they're likely going to get fired, lose their job. Yeah. I could extort them. They could they could write me a check every single every single uh that's going to double my salary. I'm really right. not sure you're extorting them. They offered, but but your demise now uh, is actually beneficial to them. That is, so. um, <laughs> and uh, you have the option of simply walking. Out. Well, well, here's the deal. On the on that first one, I don't know that reporting them. You know, corporate workspaces snitches do get stitches, right? Oh, hey, you know what? This person snitch on this person, and the person in power has to let them go, but they also know that Calvin is now someone who's going to tell on other people. I guarantee you, right. without, not... I, without identifying your workplace, I guarantee you it's big enough that there's an HR hotline where you can record, where you can do this anonymously. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so uh, they promised to write me a check every month that will double my current salary. I don't know how long that is sustainable if they deal with the problems I ran into in the bathroom. Oh. So um, I assume that they were like destroying company property in the bathroom, yeah. tearing up the stall, whatever, yeah. um, doing cocaine. I, I, wrath can manifest in different ways. So I don't know that it's sustainable over, over a long haul. He's going to get fired anyway. And I don't know if I could extort someone. I, I don't know that that's in me. Um, option of simply walking out of the bathroom and doing nothing at all. Um, that in this particular scenario is probably what I would do. I would probably walk out and just be like, I didn't see it. Um, I feel like that may be more powerful than anything else. Primarily because you've been caught. I have not asked anything of you. Your behavior will probably adjust because you fear that I now have this, this over you with the, with, with the, with the, um, with the actual extortion. I mean, he did, he did offer, like you said, Ken, with the actual extortion. I don't know how long that you, you have for that, but also that's going to weigh over time. But if I do nothing, they know that there's always something out there that could be said or done to make them lose their position so with me, at the very least, with me, their behavior will hopefully be modified. That, that's how I'm seeing it. I will well, probably it, do nothing. And I remember, uh, you, you'll all remember the line from uh, The Dark Knight uh, Rises. Um, 
that uh, where the the gentleman who works for uh, Wayne Enterprises uh, goes to uh, Fox yep. says I uh, yep, I'd like a billion it's definitely dollars. Fox News. And he's like, <laughs> and, he's, and he's sitting there, he's saying, uh, so you're saying that this guy who beats the crap out of uh, out of criminals every night, uh, you want to blackmail this man? You want to blackmail this guy? Okay, go, go good, good luck. luck. So <laughs> good luck. Maybe. Maybe Lucius Fox has, said that. Lucius yes. Fox said so that. So maybe maybe somebody who has vicious uh, vicious anger issues is not someone you want to be taking money from because, like I said, your demise now becomes something that he needs. Right, <laughs> possibly. Right, yeah. And I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Right? So that's this, where that I went. shows that shows I'm not a very clear thinker. Um, but anyway, that is uh, that's our show for tonight. I thought we we got a lot. Uh, Steve, I know we talked about this offline. Like, hey, we could talk about the electoral college. You're like, I think we could talk about that for like 15 minutes. And we got a lot more mileage out of that uh, than, I, than I thought we would. Ended up being a fantastic conversation. Um, so thank you guys uh, both for being here. Uh, I think we've got like maybe a couple more weeks we can talk about this. And then we're going to kind of go back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, not sure what next week's topic will be. And it will be like two days before election day. So we're going we'll to be adopting a. We're going to be adopting an all Chuck Klosterman all the time. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, how well this went tonight? I'm for sure <laughs> going to be adding this. This is taking over what's in my box. That's that's okay. for, for <laughs> sure. damn sure. This is great. I'm going to buy uh, the other sets of of his uh, of his scenarios. This is a great game. I've played it all day, all day yesterday, and all day today. It's really cool when you're open and honest with your answers there. But either way, thank you guys so much for, for being here. Thank you for those of you listening. Thanks so much for listening to Leading Questions with Calvin Moore. Make sure you check out our website, leadingquestionsnow.com, where you can find all of our, our, all of our episodes from this season uh, and the last uh, six seasons, bios, a calendar of upcoming topics, and even suggest topics for us to talk about. If you're interested in bringing our program out to your college, university, or organization, uh, email us at hello at leadingquestionsnow.com and we'll get back to you. Don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and the Podcast Detroit app. Please leave us a review. That's very important. And we will see you next week.